hello and welcome to this week's Blind Buy podcast. You might notice the sound is slightly different. There's no tinkling piano in the background. That's because I'm I'm not in Ireland. I'm over in America. And I just I couldn't I couldn't record the I couldn't get back to my studio in time to record this week's podcast properly. And the place that I'm staying in, the sound is absolutely shit. So the sound of the of the, the hotel room, you know, bouncing everywhere. Impossible to do a podcast. So when this happens, I often find the best thing to do is to fuck off outside and find a reasonably, reasonably quiet area and record the podcast there. So at the moment, I'm kind of squirreled away in a little cafe in San Francisco on the outside and it's a, a a blisteringly hot sunny day which is quite nice but you're going to be hearing cars and trams and hopefully not but some loud yanks passing by as they tend to do what you want here unfortunately is the sound of birds there's not a lot of wildlife in San Francisco it's there's a lot of concrete do you know you really notice it when you're in a big massive American city you really notice the sheer lack of birds and insects and what have you but anyway I'd say it's going to be a short-ish podcast this week I'm committed to trying to give you a podcast every single week and I don't want to leave a week with no podcast I have the technology to be bringing a mobile recording thing on the road so fuck it, why don't I use it live podcast last week with Emma Dabbery that was good crack, got a great response from that Um, a lot of people just saying they were really interested to finding out shit about Africa that they never knew and also uh, my black listeners were quite happy to to hear shit they didn't know themselves about African hair I got a lot of messages from my black listeners regarding that and Emma's fantastic she's unreal so (coughs) I'm committed to. I was fucking smoking fags last night like an idiot smoking cigarettes like a foolish boy and the yanks the fucking the cigarette warnings and the packets over here right so in Ireland we're accustomed to if you have a pack of cigarettes there's, an, there's a photograph of a dead person or someone whose chin is falling off on the front of the packet. Here in the US, the cigarette warnings, right? It's a big white thing and it says, uh, Philip Morris, who own all the tobacco, it says, Philip Morris have, have been adjudicated against in, in a Supreme Court trial where they must give a warning on the effects of tobacco smoke and then you have to peel it off and you pull it over and then it tells you why, why cigarettes are bad. It's the most American thing I've ever seen. Pure passive-aggressive. It's like a court order has told us we must tell you these things cause cancer. So here's some extra effort to find it out. Pure legal loopholing, you know. So there's going to be no edits this week. No nothing. Just straight through. What am I doing in America? I'm in San Francisco. On business. An unavoidable trip. I've several meetings over here. I'm moving and shaking. Um, 
the largest growth of this podcast is in America. So I'm over uh, meeting some people about potential live gigs, different different things here and there, you know. So the one kind of, as you know, I just finished my book. Um, I finished the first draft of it. I'm going to have to be editing it soon, but the actual bulk of the writing, that's done. So while I was booking this fucking trip, I was up the walls. I was so incredibly busy that I didn't have time to really look at hotels, anything like that. I kind of just... I just picked a hotel that looked nice, so I did. I also... The more I travel, the less comfortable I am staying in Airbnbs because of what Airbnb is doing to cities around the world. Any city where there's a lot of Airbnbs, you tend to also have a huge amount of um, either homelessness or people not able to buy a house because people are choosing to do the short-term letting of Airbnb rather than to rent their house out properly. So I'm no longer that mad about... It's not that I won't use Airbnb, but if I can use a hotel instead, I will. So that's what I did this time in San Francisco. And I judged the hotel based on the photographs. Looked absolutely gorgeous. And I based it on the price. It wasn't necessarily... Like, if a hotel is mad cheap, you always... You want to find out why. You want to go, right, if this hotel is really cheap, what's up? What's wrong? But this hotel wasn't cheap. It was the same price as the rest of them. So I don't look at the area. I don't look at nothing. I just go, right, nice hotel. I book it. I fucking arrive in. And I'm staying in a place in San Francisco called the Tenderline District. Which is unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. Um, San Fran's a very, very wealthy city. There's a lot of money here. There's a lot of tech companies. But the Tenderline District is an area in the centre of San Francisco. Which is... Basically, an open-air drugs market. So I've heard it described. It's it's the levels of poverty and homelessness and open drug use. Like I've never seen that before in my fucking life. So I get off the train. I walk up Eddy Street, which is the the worst street in the Tenderloin District. It's the middle of the day, and what it reminded me of was in The Wire that amazing television series The Wire season 3 hold on there's a tram going past we leave it go past in season 3 of The Wire they have an experimental uh, Wire is about um, Baltimore in America which is a a city that has a high level of crime so as an experiment in season 3 of The Wire that test an area whereby drugs are effectively legal. The police stand back and allow drugs to be dealt. That's what this felt like. So I walk into fucking Eddie Street. First off, the, the saddest part is there's massive, massive amounts of homelessness, but they tend to be people that are also mentally ill or disabled. Um, a lot of people shouting at nothing people in wheelchairs putting themselves up onto the wheelchairs crack files all over the fucking ground needles uh, pit bulls 
not on leashes without owners, which was kind of frightening. Um, and then very clear, open dealing of drugs. Like, literally all over the gaff, fucking drug dealers with backpacks on that they have either crack or meth or heroin in the, in the back of it and just openly selling it on the street while uh, police cars just drive past. And I didn't know the hotel was in this area, you know, so that, that, that was a, an unpleasant surprise, we'll say. Now, I'm from fucking Limerick, so I have seen that type of stuff before, but not to that scale. And it's not particularly dangerous either, you know. It's, it's, yes, you've got all this open drug dealing and stuff, but at the same time, it's, it's in the centre of San Francisco City. So you've got people, like, it's, it, put it this way, it's a block away from Twitter, Google, Uber. So you've got all these tech company people flooding through the area, walking past people passed on out on the ground from heroin and it was a real real culture shock it, it did remind me a bit I got in with jet lag and it was fairly severe bad jet lag so that's not great for my anxiety and for the first two days I experienced uh, I think what it was it was like I was overwhelmed by the sheer sadness of it all I hadn't seen that scale of homelessness before in my life. I hadn't seen tent cities and shit like that. So I was overwhelmed with the... Uh, oh no, there's a yank with his door open. Roaring into his phone. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Okay, it's gone, he's gone quiet now. He's after leaving his dog in the back of the car. Windows open, so that's good. It's a hot day. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, I'm up in the Tenderloin district. It's, like I said, it's, it's, not, it's not dangerous. You'd walk around there in the daytime. <clears throat> you have to keep a, you kind of walk. You keep walking. Like, look, every two seconds you're being stopped by someone asking for a fucking, for a dollar, you know. And there's only so much of that you can do. So I kind of... What I'm doing is staying the fuck away from the area in the daytime. Pissing off to other parts of the city to get my work done. And then... Returning back at night time. Night times in the Tenderloin are a bit mad. Incredibly fucking loud. It doesn't stop. It's like this 
huge big fucking party um it's you the homeless people are harmless the dealers are a bit different they're a bit dodgy they have their wits about them they they have that if you don't look like you belong there they'll stare at you now probably they're worried that, that you're an undercover guard or whatever but still it's not nice you know and there's one fucking hotel which it's it's a halfway house for felons it's a halfway house for people that have, that are in just on parole from federal prison so I've heard that can be particularly dodgy because you've got gang members and murderers and shit in there who are freshly out on the streets so that's not great either but having said that one thing that the history in the tenderloin is fucking fantastic as soon as I get anywhere the first thing I want to do is read up about the area read up about the history of it you know what is it why is it there what I can't get my head around regarding the tenderloin is everything in San Francisco is heavily gentrified except for this one little area and I don't understand why it's 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 almost stuck in the 1970s it still has rows and rows of old hotels it, it would remind you a little bit of uh, Taxi Driver that Martin Scorsese film from 1977 with Robert De Niro it has that Taxi Driver vibe it's like New York in the 70s the motels and the old uh, the old hotels with the keys that are only used really for for sex work as such you know there's a lot of that so it's an interesting place to walk around once you get over the shock of it and as well half my shock was the jet lag and feeling powerless while being surrounded by so much misery especially knowing that if so many like there's a huge amount of homeless people in San Francisco but the majority of the homeless people in the Tenderloin district are there because of homelessness and addiction and because so many of them too are clearly severely mentally ill it's it's a health issue you have the the coexistence of mental illness and then self-medicating with heroin or with crack or whatever and it's scary because I know a huge reason that this exists is because of the American healthcare system. None of these people have access to healthcare. If if you don't have insurance in America, you're fucked. If you can't afford insurance, you don't have healthcare. It's as simple as that. Even with this uh, the Obamacare they brought in, which slightly improved things, I know Trump is rolling a lot of it back, but that scared the living fuck out of me. And what I was awfully conscious of as well... While I'm over here in San Francisco, Trump is in Ireland and he's in England. And Trump's visit to England, I know, is... It, it's a Brexit meeting. So the story... like this, this is the way I look at Brexit, right? The Brits are leaving the EU. They're going to need a trade deal. The EU aren't going to give the Brits a good trade deal because it doesn't make sense in, in, in the political game of Brexit. If the British get a good deal from the Europeans, then that makes exiting the EU look look like a good thing. If if the Brits walk away from Brexit with this really, really good trade deal from Europe, 
then Italy, France, Germany, whoever will just say, well, what's the point in being in the fucking EU then? If the Brits are getting such a good deal, what's the point? So Britain is not going to get a good deal from the EU. So instead, Britain now has to, on its knees, look towards the US. And Trump is over, and you see it echoed in Nigel Farage's words last week about the NHS. And Farage now, as soon as that Brexit shit happened, Farage went right over to America. And he started hobnobbing with all the right-wing conservatives in America. He started hobnobbing with, what's that cunt's name? Steve fucking, Steve Bannon and all of them. So perfectly timed last week, Farage gives this speech saying that the NHS needs to move towards an insurance model, a US-based insurance model. I was smoking fags last night, you can hear it. So Farage is saying that and Trump is visiting. So what Trump wants to do, I think, they're going to carve up the NHS in a post-Brexit society, remove public health care from the UK, and instead, like vultures, the US insurance companies are going to step into the place. And you're going to have in Britain, uh, and Britain's healthcare system is much better than Ireland. Uh, we have a terrible healthcare system in Ireland, whereby what they're doing in Ireland is the public healthcare does exist but it's so bad that it may as well not exist. So most people in Ireland, it's, it's pure neoliberalism. It's get a public system, run it straight into the ground to the point that it's no longer functional and then anyone who can afford private health insurance does. That's the Irish system. In Britain, it's better. The NHS is a lot, like it's not as good as it was, but it kicks the shit out of what we have in Ireland. Brexit, I think, is going to mean the end of the NHS because the American vultures via Trump were over last week. And that's why being in San Francisco is so kind of scary because you go, all of these people who are disabled and who have mental health issues are on the streets as hardcore drug users because they're medicating themselves. Ultimately, what they are doing is is an act of meditation. Ah oh, man, there's a dog barking at me. It's the same cunt who's in the fucking car. I hope he's alright now. He just needs to blow off a bit of steam. Hold on, we'll wait till, till his owner comes out. Barking at a fucking post, man. Fair play to him, man. That is very on-brand activity for a dog, isn't it? He's been quiet in that car for the whole time, but then I look, a postman was walking past, so he has a lash at him. Fair play to him. What was I talking about? Yeah, so... America is a frightening fucking place, lads. It's a frightening place. And when you come here, it does remind me of... You know, to be kind of thankful that... Ireland is better. But also to have this intense awareness of... That's where we're heading. And there's huge parallels with San Francisco and Dublin. One of the massive causes of inequality there's also a housing crisis here as well you know like Jesus Christ if you're not a millionaire you are not buying a house in San Francisco it's some of the highest property prices in the world it's the headquarters you know the US headquarters of all the big tech companies Google fucking Facebook all that shit they're all here so the same problems that that creates um, in terms of what it does to property prices and all of that in San Francisco that's the same shit happening in Dublin like I often wonder 
you know, you walk up O'Connell Street in Dublin, which is our main street, and it, it has a lot of parallels to the Tenderloin District in that, you know, you, you get into O'Connell Street in Dublin and you'd say to yourself, here I am, Dublin, historic city, heard great things about it. I'm here in the main street. And then you go, why is that person doing heroin? Why is that person in a sleeping bag? The difference between San Francisco and Dublin is... When you walk into a Connell Street and the areas around it, yes, you see open drug use, yes, you see drug dealing, yes, you see homeless, homelessness. When you walk into the Tenderloin District in San Francisco, you're outnumbered massively. You're talking hundreds and hundreds of homeless people and mentally ill people kind of fluttering around drug dealers in the middle of the street. And I wasn't prepared for that I thought that just happened in films. Hold on, the Yank wants to have a little chat there. With... Look after your dog, sir. The dog's he's going to close his door now. Give him two seconds. I can't do any edits, lads. So we're just going to have to bear with me. He's fucking off now. But yes, Dublin, O'Connell Street, you know... The fact that we have all those tech companies as well in Dublin, the fact that Airbnb is making shit of Dublin. I, I, I view San Francisco as almost a warning of what can and will happen in Dublin and is already happening in terms of massive inequality. And D- Dublin, Dublin is only really a place for people who, if you were born in Dublin, chances are you live with your parents. I don't know any, no one's buying anything in fucking Dublin, no one's buying property. And it's getting to the point now where if you're to rent in Dublin, it's you better be very, very wealthy. Um, Student-wise, it's mainly quite wealthy international students who come from wealthy fam- families. I don't know what the fucking kids from down the country are doing when it comes to renting in Dublin. I'm guessing 16 of them living in, in, a, in a bunk bed. But... I digressed. The Tenderloin District where I'm staying in, it has some fucking fantastic history. And that's what has been helping me with the, the misery of it, you know. Um, yeah, one thing as well during the week that freaked me out. So I went for breakfast in a cafe. And as, it was about nine in the morning. As I went there, there was a homeless lad outside. And he... He'd obviously been asking everyone who went into the shop, but he just came up to me and he says, will you buy me breakfast? So I said, of course I will. And everything here is very expensive. So even in this cafe, I asked him, what you want? He goes, an omelette. <clears throat> $16 for the omelette, you know. So I buy this homeless man the omelette. Might be the only thing he eats all fucking day. And when I did that, these two, like they were like Mexican construction workers, were in the cafe and they saw it. And they both come up and shake my hand and they said, that's a, that's a lovely thing that you did right there, fair play to you, and w- walked on. And I was left shocked by that for, for two reasons. I got thinking, <clears throat> number one, it was obviously for me to buy a homeless man an omelette in San Francisco was obviously exceptional behaviour because it merited another person to congratulate me. So that means they don't see it a lot. It's exceptional behaviour. So I was thinking, wow, okay, so 
because I'm watching every day people walking over homeless people, walking over drug addicts. The tech workers in Google and Facebook, they don't see it. They just walk past it, walking over, because there's so much of it. But when this Mexican construction worker kind of shook my hand for buying the omelette, so I'm thinking, wow, okay, it must not happen a lot. But then I started thinking, because there was a sadness in his eyes. When he said it to me, there was a sadness, and I was kind of probing within me. What's the sadness in this man's eyes when he, because he saw me buy a homeless man an omelette? And then I thought to myself, that fucking omelette was 16 quid. That man's a construction worker. So now he's probably living fucking check to check. So he's walking around the tenderloin too. His heart is breaking for all these fucking homeless people. And he doesn't have the economic mobility to even buy an omelette. To help a homeless person if he wanted that. So that was particularly dark. Also. Half an hour later, I see a nice fucking dog. It was a French bulldog. And I started rubbing him. And then his owner says, do you want to follow him on Instagram? So that's the, the dichotomy that's there. You know, the bulldog, in fairness, now he had a dicky bow. He looked class. But it's, it's a very, very liberal city. Like San Francisco is famously liberal, progressive. But the level of fucking performatism and I don't mean this as a critique of the people. I'm sure every single person that lives here truly, they are liberal and they, they want to improve things. Like all the buses here, in fairness, they're all clean air vehicles and all of this. So there's, there's many positive things about it that are, you can aspire to. But the performatism of how much they care is, is quite evident when you're an outsider. I mean, you've got cafes up on the walls in the cafe and on the windows you've got all these signs that say fucking Black Lives Matter you look into the cafe it's just a lot of fucking white people on their phones and outside the cafe are mainly black and brown people homeless while the people inside are performatively there with their Black Lives Matter signs now it's just something I observed it's it's just something I noticed I found it jarring and shocking to see that level of signalling while also walking over the black lives that are supposed to matter so it's it's odd um, I've been going for jogs you know getting up early in the morning going for jogs that's the mad thing you can, you can easily jog through the tent no one wants to fuck with a jogger hold on there's a Labrador coming over to me here what's the crack He's walking off. Um, what was I talking about? So I go for jogs in the morning through the tenderloin. No one fucks with you when you're jogging. No one even sees you. And so I got to one point. It was up by Market Street. And I saw something fucking crazy, right? So I see a homeless man. And he's... He has a sleeping bag. That His sleeping bag, that's his one thing that he has. But this homeless man appeared to be like a frozen statue. So I'm jogging up and I just see him standing there. And he's got his... He's wearing his sleeping bag like a cape and he's frozen solid, standing up. And I'm thinking, that's really strange. Why is that man, homeless man, standing like a statue? And then as I get closer... There's this hipster couple 
with their fucking non-digital camera. What do you call them? Film camera. And they've asked the homeless man, because it was, it was quite close to the financial district, they asked the homeless man, would you mind standing there freeze frame so we can get an incredibly authentic photograph of how homeless you are? That was nuts. Just that someone would do that and that they thought that that was totally okay. Maybe they gave him a fiver. I would hope they gave him a fucking fiver. I don't know. The Tenderloin District, it's called the Tenderloin District. I should have done all this research beforehand before I went there. But interestingly, it's called the Tenderloin District is that it's had a long, long association with vice and crime. It's long been where the sex industry has been, the sex work industry has been in the Tenderloin for years and years and years. And a lot of drugs and kind of like Soho in London, you know. And it's resisted gentrification. I don't know why. I honestly don't know why it has because it's so close to Google and Facebook and surrounded by the financial district. I don't know why there's this collection of eight or nine blocks that is like stuck in the 1970s with this dystopian level of poverty that I've never seen in my life. It's called the Tenderline because there was a, a, a Irish police sergeant there in like the 1860s and it, it go it, the legend kind of goes that he was, it was... All right, yeah. It was at a time when there was massive police corruption in the US because obviously the same old shit, the police weren't getting paid, so they were all fucking corrupt. So the Tenderline had so much organised crime and all this shit that this police officer who was assigned to the Tenderline district said, before it was called the Tenderline, now I'd know what it was called then, but this police sergeant said... Um, before I was in this district, I was so poor that I had to eat chuck steak, which is an inferior steak, you know. But as soon as I started working in this area as a policeman, I was getting so much cash from bribes that I could start eating tenderloin steak. And that's why the tenderloin is, is called the tenderloin district. Because a corrupt policeman was able to earn so much money from the gangs. But as I kind of went reading about the area, and it's, it's, it's particularly relevant because pride is coming up, and pride, uh, you know, g- g- gay pride, LGBTQ pride is, is very important in San Francisco, obviously, because there's a huge history of um, gay rights and stuff in San Francisco. But you might remember about 50 podcasts back, uh, on the history of disco, I, th- I mentioned the roots of disco music and how you can trace it to the Stonewall riots in New York of 1969 when gay and transgender people just had enough and had a big fucking riot against the police. But what I found in the Tenderloin, there was a place called Compton's Caf- Cafeteria in 1966 and it's in Taylor and Turk, two intersectional streets there that are pretty fucking dodgy. I think that's where... The meth is sold. The crack is sold down in Eddie and Taylor, I believe. But Compton's Cafeteria was... its a, It was a chain of cafeterias all around San Francisco. And this place on Taylor and Turk Street in the Tenderloin, it was one of the few places where transgender people and drag queens could... Be, being a drag queen back then, you know, dr- dressing like... 
dressing in a way that's not your your gender from birth or whatever you call it, that was illegal. It was illegal to be a drag queen. It was illegal to be transgender in 1966. So this cafe was the one place where it was a safe space for transgender people in the Tenderloin in 1966 and they would frequent there and they'd all go there. And then the owner of the chain was like, fuck this. So the staff would ring the police any time a transgender person came in. The police would come down and actually arrest them because it was illegal. So in 1966, they got together and they rioted. And then the riot spilled out onto the streets. So in the Tenderloin in 1966 in Compton's cafeteria, that's actually, that predates the Stonewall riots in terms of gay pride and gay rights. There's someone behind me going through a bin, which is a, it's quite a common thing you see here. You see, I think it's for getting money back for recycling and things like that. But that's what that, that crinkling is anyway in the background, if you find it disturbing. Might give you some ASMR tingles, I don't know. So, out of that riot that happened in Compton's cafeteria in 1966 in the Tenderloin, this... It, it, a lot of it, it gave trans people kind of an identity and a voice and a community to go hold on a second we've had enough similarly with the Stonewall in 1969 so it predated that I found that quite interesting as well there was a just around the corner from a hotel there's this weird building called the O'Farrell Theatre and I was like what the fuck is this because it had kind of nudie women on the front and what it is, is a, it's a strip club. So I go Googling it. What's the crack? What's the deal with this? Why does it look so strange? There was a, it, it wasn't, that's the thing. It wasn't just because it was a strip club. I just found it, first off, it's called the O'Farrell Theatre, which is a weird name for a strip club. The building itself looked really old. It didn't look or feel from the outside like a traditional strip club. So this kind of... It got my, my, my senses tingling and I went, something about this is interesting, I better look it up. And it fucking is. So the O'Farrell Theatre, it's, it's kind of, because that area in the Tenderline, it was all, you know, sex work and vice and things like that. It was a legendary strip club, frequented by like Hunter S. Thompson or Huey P. Newton from the Black Panthers as well. And they invented the lap dance at that club before and this was in the late 60s also it was the I suppose like you know you think of San Francisco very important in the the hippie movement you know the summer of love the O'Farrell theatre was the kind of seedy expression of that summer of love it was the first kind of proper strip club that had sex acts going on and things like that lap dancing was invented before that when people were stripping they would Oh, and there's a man listening to me now. He wants to know why I'm talking into my fucking microphone about strip clubs. Looks like Neil Young. Leave him walk off. Right, so once that nosy cunt is gone. Um, strip clubs, it would usually be the girl up on a podium and then people all around watching. But the O'Farrell Theatre in the 60s was the first time to bring on lap dancing the stripper actually coming to the patron's uh, lap and, and dancing on them and stuff like that but also the upstairs in the O'Farrell Theatre 
was a film studio and it's hugely, hugely important in the history of pornography. Pornography before the 60s, there was things called stag films. They were mainly made by the mafia and shit like that. They were completely fucking illegal films that were passed around the place. All pornography was illegal in America at the time. But the O'Farrell, they filmed a movie called Behind the Green Door in 1967, I think it was. And this film was hugely important in the development of pornography as a legitimate industry. This film... uh, I had to briefly pause the podcast there because two men were arguing over the... Hold on, the two men were, they were, they were having an argument about the politics of drinking Fiji water. Apparently, whoever uh, owns Fiji water is a Trump supporter and therefore you should not uh, eat it. This is what makes this place really fucking strange. Two seconds ago... I've got this woman going through a fucking bin because she's living she's living from bins basically and now I've got two quite wealthy white men having an argument over whether Fiji water is ethical because the owner of it supports Trump what was I talking about lap dances so anyway yeah the O'Farrell Theatre invented lap dancing what it also invented not invented but they legitimised pornography as an industry. So the film Behind the Green Door, which was made in 1966 or 67, was the first ever pornographic film to get a wide... No, 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 sorry, the second to get a wide uh, release in mainstream theatres. The first one, I believe, it was called Blue Movie. It was, I think Andy Warhol is the first person to ever, ma- ever have actual explicit sex on camera, which was... Uh, shown in theatres uh, but it, they would have been shown as art house it wasn't pornography there was pornography in it but it wasn't called that with Behind the Green Door it's actual 100% porn I'm being congregated by dogs now there's a little chihuahua there so there's three three kind of posh wealthy yanks with their beautiful dogs and then across the street it's uh, decrepit so yeah that's the dichotomy of San Francisco quite strange two two very very different realities coexisting and dogs getting treated far far better than humans I should have yeah the dog's drinking fucking Fiji water out of a bowl fucking hell I'm whispering now because I don't want the boys hearing me you know I wish they'd fuck off So yeah, that was another interesting thing that I found out about the Tenderloin District was the history of pornography coming from this one theatre, the O'Farrell Theatre. I was I was tempted to stick a head in and go in there, but I looked up the photographs. It's just I don't, I don't really want to. It's, it. It was just a lot of business. It, from what I could see on the website, it it seems like a lot of businessmen kind of wanking and uh, with curtains and shit like that. So doesn't sound like a particularly good time but I'd rather an art museum myself you know I did go to the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art that was good crack um, saw some lovely was it a Manet I saw it wasn't a Manet was it? there was definitely a Manet they had the Warhol exhibition but I didn't go into that 
Um, I saw some of his earlier works. But the, it's, again, with modern art muse- museums, a lot of the, from 1960s onwards, you know, it's very culturally or, or time-specific art, so it loses a lot of its fucking impact uh, as the years go by. So I prefer early modern art around 1910, 1920. The shit from the 1960s, the conceptual stuff, it's hard to enjoy that. All right, we've got a gaggle of yanks here, boys. I'm going to press pause for a second until it quietens down, okay? So it's it's quieting down a bit, right? But, yeah, the lads are after having another argument about the water. Like, like... So he was going, my, my, my dog likes regular water. He doesn't like Republican water. As the fucking Labrador drinks Fiji. For fuck's sake. I'm going to give it another bit now for them to fuck off the dogs are gorgeous now in fairness but what just happened there was so there was two men with dogs they were arguing about the, the politics of the water the dog is is drinking fucking Fiji water then these this other couple came up with a dog there was a chihuahua involved and I found myself in a situation where it was just it was just several fucking yanks talking about, about each other's dogs that's not a good uh, environment for the podcast so I'm going to wait until these two men fuck off and I recommence I figured out there's a pause button on this so I can actually I can't edit but I can pause and stop and stuff like that alright I've got a gorgeous little dog here now he's, he's grey he's old and grey his name is Charlie I believe his owners after saying that he's supposed to have died a year ago yeah, Charlie the dog just came up to me there and he had a very, he had a queer eye. One of his eyes was very bulged. And just, he's, you know, when, when a dog just has that, that wisdom in them, you can tell they're old and they have a, a bit of a wisdom about them, which is interesting because he's only, he's only 13. So the boys have gone quiet now. They're done talking to each other. So, yeah, what I was saying... You know, these are the interesting things I found out about the Tenderloin District. First off, you've got the Compton Cafe riot. You know, a very important uh, moment in, in the, the fight towards gay rights and pride, 1966. Then the O'Farrell Theatre. And, you know, it, it depends where you... Like, you know, pornography. You gotta... You know, I had Conor Habib on a couple of podcasts back talking about sex work and to legitimise sex work and to remove the stigma from it, from it. So that's why I do view the O'Farrell Theatre as being kind of kind of class. It's just, look, I like coming across anything whereby I'm touching a piece of history. And that film that came out of the O'Farrell Theatre and the upstairs behind the green door, it started what was called the golden age of porn, which was, it was a brief period of about 10 years where pornographic films were shown in mainstream audiences in cinemas all around the US it kind of tied in with this whole you know the sexual revolution that would have happened after the 60s of course it was destroyed by a man just said I need to get the flock out of here they don't curse here in San Francisco you know I need to get the flock out of here he said so um Hold on a second, we leave them go. I'm sorry about this, lads. Do you know, I don't have a fucking studio, so what am I going to do? I've got to do a podcast on the side of the road. 
and you gotta you gotta move with what happens. So what happens here is there was there was a Yank Dog congregation, and that's that's it. What I'm trying to explain in whispered tones the history of pornographic film. So, yeah, the golden age of porn can trace its roots to the O'Farrell Theatre in the Tenderloin District, which is just around the fucking corner from where I am now. And it started... Videotapes ended all of that bullshit, right? I'm going to have to move on to a different fucking subject, let's. So, yeah, we've got history of pornography coming from the Tenderloin, LGBT rights... Also, what's interesting is because the area was traditionally always kind of associated with crime and vice, it kind of resisted immigration as well to a point. The only wave of migration that happened in the Tenderloin were, they were from Cambodia and they were escaping Paul Pot's fucking killing fields. So very, very, very desperate Cambodian people in the 70s, I believed moved into the Tenderloin. So you still see elements of uh, Cambodian and some Vietnamese restaurants around the gaff. So in the past year, it was announced that the Tenderloin is going to be... It's earmarked, basically, to be at the world's first kind of transgender district. Um... <laughs> Now, obviously, like I said, the, the area is historically significant and important in terms of trans history when you take it back to the, the Compton Cafeteria uprising. But if you look at the, say that the areas in the Tenderloin that have been earmarked as this transgender district, they're the most drug-ridden corners of the Tenderloin. Now, on paper, it sounds like a fantastic thing you know like the mission statement of this new transgender district in the Tenderloin is like creating a safe welcoming empowering neighbourhood that's like led by trans people for trans people creating a place of healing opportunity reparations in a neighbourhood that's historically significant to trans people um, it's trying to encourage you know affordable rent and home ownership for trans people uh, community services for trans people and to create a kind of a, a protected area to rename some of the streets uh, rename the streets after people who were important in the trans community to protect certain sites, to recognise them so that's all really good, positive, forward thinking, very San Francisco type stuff that's going to be earmarked in an area that is right now uh, an open-air drugs market with huge levels of homelessness and mental illness. Um, but however, the, the cynic, there's a cynical thing in me and it's the cynic in me that's... It exists because of the sheer rootlessness of uh, American capitalism and the type of capitalism that you see here in San Francisco. And this is... Let me just put some context to where my thoughts are. Like... San Francisco is traditionally very, very LGBT. There's a district called the Castro District, which was, I believe, the world's first kind of gay district. And it's up by Castro Street. It was 
started in the kind of 60s and 70s it came out of the hippie movement where you just had a huge concentration of gay people living in this neighbourhood and they said no this is our space where we can be gay and we live here and we work here and that's the crack right um, and that's the Castro district now the reason that San Francisco has such a kind of a gay tradition it, that goes back to World War II um, America was fighting in the Pacific theatre of World War II. You know, they were essentially fighting Japan. And what happened after World War II is the US military actually discharged a load of servicemen that were gay. They said, oh, you're gay, you don't have a job anymore, you're not a sailor, you're not a, a, a soldier. So because it was the Pacific theatre, a lot of them were stationed on the near the Bay Area, San Francisco, uh, so they just they were like, all right, I don't have a job anymore. I'm just going to stay here. So you ended up with this huge community of, of, of uh, gay service people. And the Castro kind of comes from that in the 60s combined with the hippie movement. And it was a hugely creative space. There was a lot of artists, a lot of eccentrics. There was drag movements. It was years and years ahead of its time. You know, the roots of, of pride parades today, you can trace that back to the Castro but the Castro today is a hugely gentrified area. It's still gay. But if you speak to locals around or if you read up about it, they refer to it now as like Airbnb gay or Twitter gay. The tech bros are kind of moving in. And it still is clearly like a, a gay space. But it's, it's not a gay space for people, for gay people that are poor. There's no more of these eccentric artists wandering around on cheap rent, getting to live creatively. Instead, it's the kind of office workers. And this is just a a complaint that certain people in the Castro have now. It's been fully gentrified. That's my cynicism that I have about this proposal for earmarking the tenderloin of the transgender district. The mission statement sounds amazing. The mission statement is about affordable housing, empowering, creating spaces for heavily marginalised people. But I think what it is, is the thing is with the tenderloin, every so often police will come in and they'll remove uh, homeless people's tents and they'll wash down the streets and they'll essentially sweep out the homeless people. And when this happens in San Francisco because it's such a liberal city the police don't really get away with it there's a lot of dissent around this behaviour people say hold on a second you can't just remove people's tents these these are homeless people but this is their community you can't just go in and deny them their existence so I think cynically by earmarking it as this transgender district what you then do is it's a catch-22 for the liberal people of San Francisco because now it's it's making people choose between marginalised homeless and mentally ill people and the trans community and I just do think that even if they earmark this area as a trans area it might start out okay and it might start out in accordance with its mission statement of it creating affordable housing and all of this but I do think it will eventually just become gentrified because it's too close it's it's two blocks away from Facebook. It's two blocks away from Twitter, from Airbnb. It's appears to be for, to me just another way to completely gentrify the area. And then what happens to the 
hundreds and hundreds of mentally ill and homeless people and the addiction that is on the streets of the Tenderloin, what happens to those people? Where do they go? Do you know? So, moving on from the Tenderloin, I did get out of the area. I went on... I went to a trip to a place called Mirror Woods because I wanted to see some Californian redwood trees. And that was... That was phenomenal. It was fantastic. The thing with San Francisco is... San Francisco used to be... Like, it's, it's very hilly. And it's... The climate of San Francisco is quite strange for California because California is, is hot. Like, down by LA, it used to be like a fucking desert. But San Fran actually isn't that hot because it's a peninsula. So it's surrounded by water all around. But you have these... San Fran would have been one giant redwood forest. And redwood... They're very unique trees. They're sequoias. They can live to be 2,000 years old. They're fucking massive now. The older ones are huge. Size of a house, you know, in, in circumference. And in terms of height, you're talking a couple of hundred feet. So the, the largest trees that, ev- that exist, really. So this was... San Francisco was massively deforested because these redwood trees, they made incredible construction equipment because you've got these really long, straight fucking planks. So they cut the fucking shit out of the entire entirety of San Francisco San Francisco was obviously it was first inhabited by native tribes they were then murdered by the, the Spanish I believe then it was Spanish controlled up into the 1820s then Spain had a war with Mexico Mexico won its independence a huge part, of San Fran used to be Mexico along with a lot of California and I think Texas too and then the Yanks I think had a, had a war with Mexico and that's how San Fran ended up being in, in America, in the United States. But it, was a, it wasn't a very populated area. It was just, like I said, a bunch of forests. But then, in the 1840s, they struck gold. So the California gold rush was hugely centred around San Francisco. So the population exploded by two or 300% in a couple of years in the 1840s. They cleared all these fucking redwood forests. Really, really important uh, trees in terms of they're, they're, in terms of the cleanliness they give the fucking air and this is one thing I noticed as soon as I went to Mare Woods you don't notice how bad the air is in a city until you leave it so when I got to Mare Woods like the cleanliness of the fucking air you're talking 400 acres of just these redwood trees perfectly preserved the reason it stayed preserved is Mare Woods is in it's in a huge big valley you know so when they, in the 1840s, when they were clearing all these fucking redwood trees in San Francisco for building, this valley where Mare Woods is now, they figured, there's n- even if we can go in there and cut down those giant redwoods, there's no way we're getting them out of this, this canyon, so we just have to let it be. So a guy called John Ware, who would, would have been a, a conservationist back in the 1900s, he was the one that got it made into a national monument so you can't fuck with this park this is where the last surviving redwood trees are and they're incredible they're fucking amazing and it was a beautiful place and to experience the cleanliness of that air compared to San Francisco which is just a half an hour away on the ferry was ridiculous and what makes the trees so unique too is there's, there's not a lot of rainfall in San Francisco it, it, like the rest of California there's really not a lot of rain so where these redwood forests get their moisture from is there's this queer fog that comes in off the ocean 
it's similar to Scotland. In Edinburgh, they have a fog called the Har. It's, it's a type of fog that comes in off the sea. But they also have this in San Francisco. Because it's a peninsula, it's surrounded by water. So at about four o'clock in the evenings, you get this really thick, hot fog. And the redwood trees get all their moisture from this fog that comes in off the ocean. Global warming, of course, is causing the fog to happen less and less, uh, which means that you could end up with the extinction of the redwood trees. Um, but again, you know, I had that fucking climate podcast a few weeks back. Jesus Christ, when you go from a, a concrete city like San Fran and then directly into a redwood forest, you notice firsthand the importance and impact of trees and biodiversity in the quality of the fucking air. It's insane. It was so beautiful. So while I'm wandering around the Mirror Woods, I come across fucking Bohemian Grove. Now, I didn't know... I know about Bohemian Grove, but I didn't know Bohemian Grove was in these fucking woods, so I was thrilled. I was going, fucking hell, Bohemian Grove. If you don't know what Bohemian Grove is, it's... Conspiracy theorists will know what I'm talking about. Bohemian Grove is this really weird club that happens in woods called the Bohemian Grove that are in mere woods and like congressmen and really really powerful American politicians go to these woods once a year for retreats and it's highly secretive and a lot of security it's a little bit like the Bilderberg group but what makes it so weird is just you have all these US presidents and former presidents and captains of industry and very, very powerful, wealthy men going to this secret location in the woods called Bohemian Grove. <clears throat> and someone snuck a camera, I think it was Alex Jones, snuck a camera in there in the mid-90s to actually see what the fuck is going on once a year in this forest where people are... T- very, very powerful, wealthy men are attending this club once a year. And he filmed them worshipping a giant owl. So it's one of these really fucking freaky conspiracy theories because you're wondering, what, what are they up to? So you get like ex-presidents and billionaires going into the fucking woods in California once a year and, and worshipping a huge wooden owl that's carved out of a sequoia and they, they burn effigies at the foot of the owl. And it's really, really strange. And... A statement was released saying that odd, it's just a bunch of men. They do a play, and this play involves a giant owl. But other people then point to it's it's a a, a, a devil god called Malak. Malak is I think he's an Egyptian fucking evil owl or something. So some people claim that it's 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 direct evidence of the Illuminati. You know the most powerful men in the world secretly. Uh, Worshipping a devil type god in order to get power. So I, uh, yeah, I was in Bohemian Grove. Like I don't know how much of that is true, but I tell you, you know, it, it is it is a fact, right? This is the part that's a fact. Ex-American presidents and really rich people go to this woods once a year, and they do some strange shit with a giant fucking wooden owl and burning effigies. That's a fact, okay? I find it odd whether it's them worshipping some type of fucking dark force and this is what gives them political power I don't know but I just it's one of those things it's like David Cameron fucking a pig into the mouth it's like what are you doing now what I think a lot of that shit is it's like with motorcycle gangs uh, 
outlaw motorcycle gangs they always do mad fucked up shit like if, if you want to earn a back patch in uh, if you get high up in a motorcycle gang they have to do really bad things like they have, they have to murder a random person or they have to fucking dig up corpses I think the political elite formed these strange fucking clubs and societies where they worship giant owls or where they fuck pigs' mouths. It's, it's, I think what it is, it's a way to establish dirt on people. Do you know what I mean? If... Like, I do believe that David Cameron was in a thing called the Bullingdon Club. So that's like the, the equivalent of Bohemian Grove, but in, in England... And again, you have this these young, entitled college kids who all go on to become prime ministers and powerful, wealthy bankers and all of this, all in this same club where they trash restaurants and shit and David Cameron put his dick into a pig's mouth, a dead pig's mouth. I think they do that to have dirt on people. So they're kind of going, if you, if you fuck that, there's a fellow walking past now, so I can't say that out loud. If you have sex with a pig's mouth in front of Boris Johnson or whoever the fuck, or Michael Gove, when you're kids, it means that when you become politicians and you're older, you can't have any whistleblowers because everyone has really nasty dirt on each other. So if, if, if something corrupt happens in, in the halls of government, you can't call it out because then you can go, what about that time you fucked a pig into the mouth? Or what about that photo I have of you worshipping a giant wooden owl? Wouldn't, that would ruin your career if it got out so like the motorcycle gangs who like motorcycle gangs perform horrible crimes in front of each other as a way to make sure no police can infiltrate them because if you're an undercover cop there's no way you're digging up a corpse and having sex with it it's not happening they might do a line of coke in front of someone but they're not going fucking digging up corpses so that's how they protect their ranks and I think this mad shit that the elites do where whether worshipping a giant wooden owl or fucking a pig's mouth it's a way of protecting themselves against other things Jesus Christ lads this you know I will never go a week without giving you any podcast so this is the best you're going to get there's a lovely little pit bull there now see a lot of rescued pit bulls you won't find pit bulls in Ireland. We've got American Staffordshire or Staffordshire Bull Terriers, but the, I think the actual pit bull is illegal in Ireland, isn't it? What time are we? Ah, Jesus, I'm after talking for a fucking... It's a long time. All right, I'm going to look at a couple... I didn't even do the, the ocarina pause. Fucking hell. All right. I'll just have to throw the ocarina pause some point in the middle of the podcast back there because I forgot to do it because I did those fucking two lunatics feeding their dogs Fiji water and arguing over the politics of it while there's homeless people rooting through fucking bins my dad I always used to say about America what was it my dad was like socialist bordering on communist he was a, a union leader and he was on a bus out to Shannon Airport and there was a fucking yank roaring about how great America was, he was saying. Landed a free home of the brave. And my dad says to him, landed a free if you have money, but you better be brave if you don't. And it's so fucking true. It's, it's a, there's a real, real culture shock when you come to this place. It's, it's, it is dystopian, it's fair to say. 
it is it is an absolute the dystopian if you, if you want to see a fucking dystopia for the rest of the world just come to fucking America there's your dystopia it's, it's, it, that's Ireland in 10 years time it's Britain in 10 years time um, the level of, of inequality and, and sheer utter blindness like the, the way that the, the tech workers and the wealthier people coexist with the destitute and sure look I'm doing it I'm there recording a fucking podcast on the side of the road do you know I'm I'm part of that same fucking thing at, le- at least I, like I seem to have in my awareness a degree of compassion for the shit that's happening I'm fucking doing what I can giving people money buying people breakfasts checking in with my fucking empathy but the performativeness that I see walking up and down people anti-Trump fucking Black Lives Matter and completely ignoring the suffering that's happening at their feet like I'm not joking you you see people walking over homeless people full on just going about their day with their fucking those Apple earpods that don't have the the strings on them just stuck into their ears and they're walking over fucking heroin addicts lots and lots of that I'd be up early in the morning jogging you get people hosing down outside the fucking some some shops have really really loud speakers so yeah it's quite surreal actually so I'd, I'd get up at my, my sleeping patterns are fucked up so sometimes I'd be up at half six for my jog and I'd jog from all through the tenderloin in, into the financial district so the, the streets are pretty much empty for except for homeless people and as I go into the financial district it's, it's quiet because there's not a huge amount of activity at about half six but what you have is every time you pass a shop loud music like like a lot of it seems to be like Frank Sinatra and stuff like that and I was going what the fuck is this what, what, why are these speakers on the streets or, or, or on the side of these shops playing Frank Sinatra for no one like it's not the radio it's like I don't know why Frank Sinatra type music crooning type music seems to be the one they've settled on and then I slowly realised all of these department stores and banks have got speakers outside their shops so that if a homeless person is sleeping there the speaker goes on as an alarm clock to get the fuck away and I found that particularly fucked up I mean look we've got homeless spikes in in Ireland too but yeah you see a lot of that shit here have I got time to answer a couple of questions forgot to promote the Patreon look lads you know the crack this podcast is supported by you the listener via the Patreon page the reason there's a podcast happening this week is be, like people I have patrons of this podcast people who give me the price of a cup of coffee once a fucking week that's what keep this podcast going if it wasn't for the Patreon would I be recording a podcast this week no I would not I'd be over in America getting my work done going grand we don't need a podcast this week but because I have people subscribing and giving me a few quid once a month I make sure I do not miss a fucking podcast even when I can't record one I'm going to do something so if you'd like to be a patron patreon.com forward slash the blind by podcast please consider it I was going to this was supposed to be a question answering podcast and it ended up being a very a long pain ramble about the culture shock of being in San Francisco with a little bit of history thrown in 
question. Stephen asks, Have you watched Chernobyl yet? Yes, I have. It's fucking amazing. Get a look at Chernobyl if you can. It's HBO's new thing. Uh, Jared Harris is in it. He's the lead in it. He used to be in Mad Men. He's Richard Harris's son from Limerick. Excellent actor. Um, what's also enjoyable is if you're going to watch Chernobyl, also listen to the podcast from the writer of Chernobyl too. Because it's like a masterclass in... It's like if, if you're a writer, the podcast about Chernobyl and watching Chernobyl is like a masterclass in how to turn real historical events into drama. It's really gritty. It's on the ball. I like the fact that, like, it's set in Ukraine in the eighties around the, you know, the, the fucking huge disaster that happened in the in the Chernobyl power plant. But the actors, they're mostly English, and they speak in in their in their native fucking accents. There's no one putting on any fake Russian accents or any fake Ukrainian accents. People are speaking in their how they actually speak. Some people find that jarring. I find it fucking excellent. Because what... Oh, shit. Hold on. I left the fucking phone on. And I'm getting a text. I should have my heart broken with my phone this week as well, lads. Because... Yeah. So... Like I said, I was too busy to really plan this fucking trip. I forgot... About the whole data roaming thing. Because I'm used to travelling around Europe. So you don't have to worry about data roaming in Europe anymore. But I forgot when you go to fucking go to the US. It's something like $5 a megabyte. So what happens is. The second I land in America. My iPhone decides to update itself. So there's all my data gone. Boom. So I have no fucking phone. At all. The My mobile phone company 3. The in order to stop me running up a bill of about fucking 12 grand which is quite easy to run up a bill that big if you're in America using data they just shut it all off so I had no way to text anyone no access to internet unless I'm around Wi-Fi. so the anxiety of that because I'm here on a business trip so I need my fucking phone if I was here on a holiday I'd be like grand I've no phone let's see how that goes for me but I'm here on a business trip I'd people I needed to contact so I'm in America with no fucking phone and only internet access when I'm near somewhere with internet access. In the Tenderloin, there's not a lot of cafes with uh, internet access. So that was quite anxiety-inducing for two days. So what I did was I got a tourist uh, fucking SIM card. Tourist SIM card for like 40 quid with 10 gigabytes of data. So I had to fuck a new SIM card into my phone, which is kind of shit because I, I can't use any of the apps on my phone that are associated with my phone number. Uh, social media stuff so a slight inconvenience it's been it's it's i won't say it's a bad trip to america it's just been very very fucking interesting and the the culture shock i wasn't i wasn't i didn't prepare myself for this culture shock i've been in america before mainly the east coast in new york they seem to have gotten all their problems and swept them away way way up into the bronx so when you go to new york you have the illusion of it being a good place with San Fran they're not really sweeping it away it's there to see and it's frightening but yeah Chernobyl the question about fucking Chernobyl Chernobyl's fantastic give it a look I really really fucking enjoyed it Um, what I find the best part about the fact that they don't put on these fake Russian accents is 
that like the hardest part to deal with about Chernobyl is it's the Soviet mindset. The mindset of an absolute totalitarian communist state where lies can become the truth. It's it's hard to relate to it's you've got all these scientists trying to say to the superior their superiors there's going to be a nuclear meltdown there's going to be a disaster this is going to destroy half the world and then you have the people on top going no that's the wrong answer no that's the wrong answer so completely ignoring facts because they're scared of being held personally responsible they're scared of getting shot so to see that soviet hardcore mindset played out in relatable accents such as English accents I found that very interesting um, the writer himself I can't remember his fucking name right now but he said that initially he wanted the actors to do fake Ukrainian voices or fake Russian voices but he found that when you ask an actor to do a Russian accent they then tend to act Russian so you lose a lot of authenticity you've got these people not only speaking Russian but acting Russian second question hi blind boy what are your thoughts on the future of AI artificial intelligence I you know it's 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 kind of freaky it's kind of scary I mean there's obviously there's going to be I mean with any technological advance one thing that frightens me is is how are they going to use this to for people to lose jobs okay here in San Francisco I, I walked into one of those Amazon shops the other day Um, there's they've a few Amazon shops here that there's no cash registers. You basically walk in and you have your app in your pocket. You walk up to the shelves in it's it's a grocery store. It's it's a it's like a, a Tesco or a Centra or whatever. There's no cash register. There's one worker there. You walk in past the barrier, your there's lasers everywhere pointing at you and you have a phone in your pocket and you walk in and you take what you want off the shelf and you walk out of the shop. And it's charged immediately to your phone. You have to do nothing. You walk into a shop, you take the stuff, you leave. There's no queues, there's no cash register, but there's also not a lot of jobs. The only people employed are whoever needs to pack the shelf and the person who is the welcoming person. So, yeah, one thing that's interesting about AI for me is... I, 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 I'm fascinated by how they train AI and how you and I are used every day to train AI. So, like, what? here's an interesting fact. Do you know when you have a... signing up for an email, or, or signing up for something on the internet, and in order to prove whether you're a human or not, they have these things called CAPTCHAs. So you, it'll say, uh, you have to tick a box that says, I am not a robot, and then you have to solve some little problem, like you have to spell out a word so the word will be there and it'll be all jumbled and you have to spell it out well CAPTCHA as a company actually sell that data so for years and years and years when we were signing these CAPTCHA things where it's like translate this word to prove that you're not a human and then you can move on to the next step what a lot of those words were is it was part of I think it was Project Gutenberg but basically no 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 we say large newspapers like the Guardian or the New York Times, right? They were trying to digitize all their old archives of print editions. So what they would do is they would get like their physical newspaper from 1843, we'll say, scan it into a computer, and then computer would read the text and it would digitize it. But there were certain words that computers couldn't read. So what 
what they did is this they outsourced these problems to capture so chances are over the years when you signed when you figured out a word to sign into a captcha and prove you're not a robot you were actually using your human brain to solve uh, to translate a word that a computer couldn't read and this would end up in we all helped basically our collective labor digitized the archives of newspapers and catch that's how capture made its money what it's doing today which is really fucking interesting is a huge part of ai in the future now is going to be these self-driving cars like i i, I think in 30 years time there'll be no petrol cars hopefully all petrol cars will be gone and all cars will be electric and self-driving um and we won't really have autonomous cars i'd say you'll need a special license to have an autonomous car but they're using CAPTCHA now to train the artificial intelligence of self-driving cars. So if you sign a CAPTCHA now when you're on the internet, it's no longer words that they're asking you to translate. What they're doing is you might see an image that says, count how many cars are in this picture. And you use your human brain to identify the cars that are in the image. And that data is actually being sold to google and to companies that are making these self-driving cars so our human intelligence the data of that is being farmed to train artificial intelligence so i find that really fucking interesting neav asks hi blind boy with the leaving start happening now have you any opinions on it and the way the point system works would you change the leaving start in any way yes i would i would have the leaving start as a i think continuous assessment um, I, I just think it's really, really stupid that we have this rote learning system where you do one big exam and everything hangs on it. I think it's unnecessarily stressful. I don't think it reflects anything that happens in real life. Um, as a professional, like most people's jobs is continual assessment. It's consistently reaching small goals in order to get to a bigger one. Like, okay, I've been writing a book the past year like that that is a form of continuous assessment i continually write each day and i improve it and the thing with the leaving cert it's, it's, it's like i always say with any any piece of work and i i think the leave yeah i think the leaving cert actually it set me up really bad in how how i approach projects so when i get given the opportunity we'll say to write a book you're talking 70 80,000 words initially when I get that project, I'll get a pang of anxiety and I'll go, fucking hell, how am I supposed to get this book done? 70,000 words, that's loads, that's really scary. And the problem, the flaw in my thinking there is that I'm approaching a book as if it's a mountain that I have to jump over. I'm looking at this mountain and saying, oh, I'll never be able to jump that in one go. That's what the leaving cert is. You have to jump this mountain in one go. Whereas the reality is with my book, I'm not jumping a mountain in one go. What I'm doing is I'm gradually climbing it each day with small little goals. And when you say that about a mountain, if you show someone a mountain and say, you have to climb that and it's going to take you six weeks, you can say to yourself, that's manageable. I can see myself doing that. But if you say to someone, you have to jump over that mountain, then you go, that's impossible. I can't jump over the mountain. Fuck this. The leaving cert asks us to jump over the mountain study 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 for three years and then you use all that pent-up knowledge to jump over the mountain at the very end what should be happening is there should be continual fucking assessment based on a climbing the mountain model so what that does is it keeps you on your toes it gives you room for failure it gives you room to develop and grow 
it gives you room to spot your weak points along the way and where you need to improve. And a continual assessment system accurately reflects the realities of professional fucking life as an adult. Professional adult life is continual fucking assessment. Everything is continual assessment. There's no such thing as one big giant thing that you have to give your all at. So I'd like to see a rehaul of the even cert in that respect. Um, any other questions? Do you know what? I'm conscious about fucking time. This has gone way longer. I, I, I sat down at this cafe and made a promise to myself I'm going to keep this to under 40 minutes and I haven't. We've gone way over. So, look, best of luck. I hope you enjoyed it this week. Um, if you didn't enjoy it, just cut me a bit of fucking slack. I'm, I'm not in my studio. I had to go to America for business. I don't have any way to record it over here. To be honest, I don't really have the fucking time. I had to really just do this one on the fly. Like, that's what Bill Burr does every week. He just records it in a fucking hotel. I'm going to be back next week with a proper podcast. Um, I didn't want to give you a live one two weeks in a row. I That would have been lazy. So I just said to myself, I have a recorder. Fuck it. I'm going to sit down. I'll see what happens. There's going to be distractions, but I will creatively try and use them to my advantage so I hope you enjoyed it I hope it was a nice change I hope from like an almost an ASMR perspective I'm consciously using a stereo microphone at the moment you'll notice now here I am on the the right or the left what is this here I am on the left here I am on the right I've got a stereo microphone normally I use a mono microphone which means it goes right down the centre and the reason I'm using the stereo microphone is I don't have the piano track this week. I'm in San Francisco. When I have a stereo mic, I can give you a 3D aural image of what I'm hearing, you know. Here's a car. You know, you hear that passing across your ears. And that's a conscious thing I'm doing this week because I just think that can be quite peaceful to hear, to hear a 3D environment properly represented in, uh, in your ears rather than just straight down the middle mono to give a bit of ambience alright I'm going to talk to you next week I don't, want to go, don't know what I'm going to be talking about hopefully I won't be too jet lagged um, have any gigs coming up yes I have a live podcast in Dunleary soon enough a couple of podcasts in Dublin in July I think in the Ivy Gardens give them a squint alright it'll be good crack God bless have a bit of crack uh, be nice to yourself be nice to your neighbour enjoy the nice weather and plant some Irish wildflower, plant some seeds, you know, help the bees live. If you have available space in your house, on your fucking roof, plant some wildflower, make it a, a bee-friendly um, space, all right? We all need to be doing that to, to save the fucking planet. Yart. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com.